the last couple of weeks we have talked about privileges that we Christians have. One is that God will always take care of us. Another is that he'll always let us know things coming down the pike. As you well know, a lot of things are happening in the world right now that could give any of us reasons to be concerned. And uh, without going into detail on any of that, I'll leave that for now. But we know that this is the world that we're living in. What I want to do here, though, today is talk to you about something else that God has involved us in as, uh, as his people and, uh, and how that God has chosen to involve us, you and I, in our salvation, in our own salvation and in the salvation of others. Not that God has to, but because he has chosen to do that. He has chosen to involve us who are in the human race in those kind of things. So I want to take a little time here. If you if you do not remember any Bible study I have taught all year, don't forget this one. And so get your feet in, buckle your seat belts. I want you to really give me your attention here today. I'm going to pass some things along to you that we may never come this way again. And so uh, if you've got a pen and paper, you may want to take some notes. I've got some things to show you and share with you. But uh, it's about how that God in his divine plan to redeem man has chosen to involve us and to include us in our own redemption and then also in the redemption of others. And how that God has chosen to, to use man in that fashion. Uh, I want to read a verse of scripture, and I'll be coming back to this later on in our Bible study here today. And this will probably wind up being a two-parts Bible study this week and next week. So uh, if you, we won't get to all of it today, but uh, next week I'm going to give you some real highlights and some things on it that you'll appreciate, I'm sure, as well. But look in Psalms, if you would, Psalms 8 and verse 4 for just a moment here. I want to read this verse 4 through 6. And it simply says, as what is man, man, that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man, that thou visitest him. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. And then it goes on to say in verse 7 and 8, The sheep, the ox, the, the beast of the field, fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passes through the midst of the sea, paths of the sea. And so the Lord is saying here that what is, and, and this is what the psalmist says, uh, Psalmist David, what is man that God would even be concerned about him? And so I want to get into this with you here today and talk to you about how that God uh, has chosen to involve us. Praise God. Uh, after the flood and Noah and his three sons, and as you know, from his three sons came all the human race. Everybody was dead on the face of the earth after the flood except Sham, Ham, and Japheth and their three wives, of course Noah and his wife. And these sons became the fathers of all the human race. So from there on, everybody that exists on the world today is from those three sons of Noah. And they went into all the world, and they covered all the earth, and so forth. Ten generations after Noah, and not until then, 
the Lord himself, seeing that man was beginning to fall away and they built the tower to Babel and all that kind of stuff, seeing that man was falling away on the 10th generation, he called a man by the name of Abraham. He called Abraham and said, Abraham, I'm going to make of you a great people and great nation. I'm going to raise up a great nation from you. And so he gave Abraham a call and he said, go into the land of Canaan and there I want you to dwell. And along the way, he appeared to Abraham about nine different times. And in those that course of time, he talked to Abraham and told Abraham what he was going to do, how he was going to do it and so forth. I want to read a verse of scripture to you here. And uh, this has to do with the name of God. And the name of God is an identity of God. It tells us what God's uh, characteristic and what his plans were and are for that dispensation of time. So I'm going to read here in 17.1, if you'll read this with me, uh, in Genesis 17.1. And it says here, and when Abram, Abram was his name before it was changed to Abraham, when Abram was 90 years old and 9, 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am the almighty God. Now, this is the first time that this name of God appeared, the almighty God. Uh, we know that as El Shaddai, that's the Hebrew uh, word for the almighty God or almighty God, God almighty. El Shaddai, El meaning God, is a little, it means little God or any God. And it's simply a prefix or a suffix to a word. That's why a lot of the Hebrew words like Elijah and Elisha, they have the E-L or Elkanah. They have that E-L on there. It means God is, God was, God did, and so forth. But anyhow, El Shaddai means, uh, it simply means God Almighty. And what the Lord said to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to make of you a great nation. I'm going to raise up from you Isaac, and I'm going to give you a great people. They're going to possess this land, and I'm going to, kings will come from you, and uh, great people will come from you, and on and on and on. Now, these were the promises that God made to Abraham. And so he said this, and he said, then he said to him, I'm appearing unto you as El Shaddai, and the word El Shaddai, God Almighty, means I can do anything. I am able to do anything, and I will do what I say I will do. You see, with you and I as people, we can't always say that. We can say, hey, I'll, uh, I'll meet you for lunch tomorrow. And you may show up for lunch, and I'm not there. You know, Myers is not there. Where, what happened to Myers? Well, I may have had a flat tire. Myers may have uh, forgotten, because I'm human. But see, with God, nothing like that ever happens. He won't say, I'll be there, and then say, oh, well, I had a, a bender fender, and I, I couldn't make it or something. But with God, when he said that he will, and he, he is going to, that is absolutely the fact. And he said that my name is El Shaddai, meaning I am all power. So, Abraham, whatever I tell you, it's going to happen. It will be that way, because I am God. Do you believe that, Abraham? Yeah, yeah, Lord, I believe it. So later on, the Lord didn't have to test Abraham so much as he wanted it on record because he knew Abraham's heart. But he said to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to offer your son, your only begotten son, Isaac, on the altar for a sacrifice. Wait a minute. This is the son that God said that I'm going to bring forth a great nation and kings of the earth from. And now God is asking me to offer him for a sacrifice. You say, well, Abraham was getting it all mixed up. No, no, he knew who God was. 
God would appear to him sometime as a, as a man, just walk up and talk to him. You know, this happened all through the scriptures. And sometimes he's in a dream, sometimes a vision, sometimes he'd just be a man walking up, angelic form, theophany as he was called. So he knew God, he knew who God was. And so God said, I want you to offer your son, your only son, your only son, begotten son, call it begotten son at that time, at that point. I want you to offer him for a sacrifice on the altar. And Abraham was willing to do it. And when Abraham went there and put him on the altar and had the knife in his hand and was willing to do it, the Lord said, or the angel of the Lord said, Abraham, stop. The Lord only wanted to see that you would. Now, God already knew in his heart that Abraham would, but he wanted it on record that Abraham believed God. And this was the beginning of faith in God. And this is what God requires of you and I. Whatever the Lord says in his word, we must believe it. Praise the Lord, because this is the effort of the devil is to try to cause us not to believe the word of God. If you, in other words, he'll question the word of God. You can hear the word of God preached in the pulpit, you know, and the enemy come along, put a little thought in your head. I wonder if that would work for me. I wonder if that's really meant for me. I wonder if that would really happen if it came my way. Or whatever the thing, or maybe it's a direct message for you to act in the, in, in, the, in, in, the, in the way God would have you to act or do or whatever or say. And you think, uh, I don't know whether that would really would be the case for myself. And so there is some doubt there. The Lord says, no, no, don't doubt. Believe the word of God. And so with Abraham, the thing that involved us was that Abraham had to believe God. And he was the beginning of faith. If God said it, I believe it. Because God not only will do it, he can do it. And nothing ever will ever interfere God from fulfilling his word and doing everything that he said that he would do. Praise the Lord. So his name, Abraham, was El Shaddai and was that way for a few hundred years, 400 years to be exact. Until the Lord appeared unto uh, to Moses in the wilderness. Now, here's another name that he gave, and that was El Shaddai. I want you to go to uh, the scriptures in Exodus chapter 3 for a moment. Exodus chapter 3, I'm going to read verse 13. Look at this very closely here. Verse 13. And Moses said unto God, and this is the Lord talking to Moses, and said, Moses, I want you to go into, the, into Egypt and, uh, and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And, uh, and he was saying, Lord, what am I going to say? How can I say this? How can I do this? And Moses said unto God, behold, when I come into the children of Israel, this is when I go to the children of Israel and say to them, God's appeared to me. And he said, Pharaoh's will let you to go and you got to get ready to go. You know, when I say to the children of Israel and shall say unto them, the God of your fathers has sent me unto you and they shall say to me, what is his name? Okay. And so this is Abraham in the wilderness where God's appearance to him in a burning bush. And not Abraham, but, but to Moses. And he appears to him in the burning bush. And, and Moses says to God, what shall I tell them is your name? And verse 14, and God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. I am. 
And the thing about the, the, the statement, I am, means that God is always. There never was a time he was not, and there never shall be a time he shall not be. It's not I was or I shall be, I am. And he also, amen, meaning I am, I am here and I am there. There is no place I am not. I am everywhere. Notice here how God's name now identifies God in a little bit greater sense than just saying I am able to do all things. But I am a God who is everywhere at all time to do it. Praise God. And he went on to say here that I am. So he goes on to say in verse 15, And God said furthermore to Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever. I am. And this is my memorial unto all generations. Praise the Lord. And uh, just one other verse of scripture to tie it with that. So that we understand that this was separate from El, this from El Shaddai. I mean, from uh, from from uh, what is El, uh, El, uh, El Shaddai? Yeah, El Shaddai. Verse chapter six and verse three, and he says, "And I appeared, God talking to Abraham. I appeared unto unto Moses, and he says, I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty, or El Shaddai." But by my name, Jehovah, was I not known to them. Now, wait a minute, Jehovah. Where, how did Jehovah get in here? Jehovah is the I am. Now, let me talk to you about the I am for a moment here. Let me give you a little, uh, little Bible lesson on that. That's the name of God. This is the name of God in Hebrew. I'm going to put this up here. This is a little thing I got, I guess, from Israel. I don't know where I got it. But uh, let me get a focus on this. Okay, here we go. Can everybody see that? This is just a little thing there. You can put a ruler through the top and hang it up. It's got little things to it. I want you to look at the letters of the gold letters on the black. This is the name of God in Hebrew. This is the I am. And uh, it is it is J-H-V-H. I won't go any further here. Let me just explain that to you. This is this is spelt backwards. In the Hebrew language, they read from right to left. We read from left to right. If you ever go to Israel, it'll show all the words in English first and then in Hebrew. And you say, well, God bless the Hebrews. They put the English in first. No, no, no. That's first to them is on the right-hand side is English and second to us. But to us English people, or to us English-speaking people, I should say, we're thinking, oh, isn't that nice? They put English first, and then they put the Hebrew, even in their own country. No, no. But they read from right to left. J-H-V-H. These are the four letters. It's called the tetragrammation. Tetra meaning four, grammation meaning grammar or letters. Four letters. And they're the four letters of the name of God. Stay with me on this very closely. And so this is the, the first one, the tetra. This is called, a, I think, jot or jod, the Old Testament jod, New Testament jot. It's the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And it, it, it forms, as we call today, the J. Even though in Hebrew there is no J. It's Y. I'll get to that in a moment. Anyhow, it's J-H-V-H. The H appears twice, and the H is the strongest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. There are 22 Hebrew letters, and it's the strongest. 
and it means breath or it means spirit or it means life and it is always pronounced we pronounce it like an h everybody hear that the the hebrews don't pronounce it the israel israelis don't pronounce it like that they pronounce it like this did you hear that one be careful i didn't, I didn't get nothing on anybody i'm kidding i don't want to spray anybody here but anyhow, when they are talking, they are, when you hear that, they're they're putting the H sound in there where we'd go like that, you know. Well, it's the strongest letter in the Hebrew alphabet, and it means life. And this this name of God here, J H B H, was what it was in the Hebrew language. Now, in the 13th century, when John uh, Wycliffe translated the Bible into English and he translated from other translations of English, such as in this other languages as well, and everything. Uh, they use a J H B H. The J, praise the Lord, uh, would appear like this. This is the way it would be in the Hebrew language. Let me uh, hang on a second. Let me use. This is the way it would be in the English language. J H B H. So we say J-H-V-H. In the 13th century, when they first translated the Bible into the English language, John Wycliffe did that, they they interwoven vowels, vowels, E, O, and A, to give it a pronounceable name. Everybody still with me? Because it was unpronounceable, and I'll tell you why in just a moment. So it was J-E-H-O-V-A-H. So that in the Bible you find the word Jehovah there sometime when it talks about the name of God. That's how it came about. It's a man-made name. Uh, I won't pick on any religion here, but there's some people who call themselves to be Jehovah's Witnesses. And I would say, well, Jehovah, the name Jehovah really never came about until the 13th century. That always throws them off a little bit. That gets them thinking about it. Well, anyhow, I'll just leave that. But anyhow, that's where the name Jehovah really came about. Before that, it was just the tetragamation that was unpronounceable, unpronounceable word. And here's why, here's what happened. For instance, I'm going to give you an illustration of it being unpronounceable. Whenever uh, Moses went to the children of Israel, the elders, and he said to them, he said, his name is, they said, yes, yes, what is it? His name is and I'm going to use this in the English sense. I think you can understand what I'm trying to say here. He said his name is, and he could not say I am because then he would seem saying I am God. In other words, he makes himself to be God in a way. So Moses could not say I am. No, no. He said he, he and he wanted to say he is, but he is is different than I am. Everybody still with me? So Moses couldn't say the name of God. So in, in the Hebrew, it was a more complicated than that because it was a, it, you could only say it in the first person, but could not say it in the third person because you could, it had no vowels. It was the tetragamation, the four letters. So it could be said in the first person, but not in the third person. So what Moses did was to write it down on paper. And so the Hebrew leaders looked at it. Oh, Okay, now we know why you're not saying it. And if God gave you his name like this, apparently he doesn't want it said. He doesn't want us to say it. So we are to write it down only. So from that point on, they would write it down. This is why in the King James Version of your Bible, 
that many places you find the word L-O-R-D, all capital letters. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The word Lord itself, the basic word meaning Lord, comes from the word L, comes from the, uh, comes from uh, a, a word simply meaning, I've lost my thought there, i got a little thing on my finger here. Anyhow, the word, the word, uh, the word El Shaddai, not El Shaddai, the word Elohim, Elohim, or Jehovah here, is a word that is also pronounced in other languages, and it comes to us as Yahweh, Y-H-W-H. I'm going to give you that one as well. In other words, if it came from the Hebrew, because in the Hebrew language, there is no J, there is a Y. Y is Y-H-V-H. You see what I'm saying? So they say, okay, and so they change it by putting vowels in it. They put A, uh, two A's, uh, A and an A, and they call it Yahweh. And then in some, Yahweh, and then they finally change it to Yahweh because in some languages the V and the W are interchangeable as well. So they call it Yahweh. So the name of God, if it's to be pronounced, is either Jehovah or it's Yahweh as we know it today. And they're all the same. It simply means God is the I am. And it simply means that God is everywhere at all times. And he can and therefore he is also El Shaddai, meaning he can do all things. So when he appeared unto Moses, he said, now I'm going to be unto you uh, the I am or let me call it. Let me just call it Jehovah for all of our sakes. It's going to be Jehovah. And so my name now is going to be Jehovah. Now, here's another thing interesting about it. God never performed a miracle in the Old Testament anywhere until Moses never performed a miracle the only miracle you find is Isaac being born of a father who was a hundred years old and a mother who's 90 years old that was an impossibility and so Isaac was born that was a miracle but as far as just making things happen it never happened anywhere in the Old Testament you don't find it until you get to Moses and when the Lord was telling him his name, he said to Moses, Moses, what's that in your hand? He said, it's my rod. Throw it down. He threw it down and the rod instantly turned to a serpent. Ha! I mean a poisonous serpent. And the Lord said to him, now pick it up. Very carefully. And it says in the Bible, he picked it up by the tail. And when he touched it, it turned back to the rod again. God showing his power to change anything. That would go with his name, in other words, Jehovah, or I am. And then he said, Moses, put your hand in your bosom. He did this. Now take it out. <laughs> it's leprosy. I got leprosy. How did I get leprosy? All of a sudden I got leprosy. Lord, now Moses, put it back in your hand, in your, in your bosom. He put it back in there. Now take it out. Oh, thank God I'm back to normal again. God showing him that he could change things. Because you had to understand that this was a new uh, commitment of God to mankind, his people. So what he was showing Moses and would show to the children of Israel, I'm going to give you laws and commandments to keep. And if you will keep them and obey them, I will bless you and I will be with you. And you must believe in me and you believe in me by keeping the commandments. If you keep my commandments, that means you believe what I said. 
Of course, if they didn't believe what he said, they didn't keep the commandments. And consequently, they suffered the consequences for not doing it. I'm trying to show you how God's name progressed here. But every time it would involve the children of Israel, Abraham through faith, Moses through the commandments to the children of Israel, and they had to keep the law. And by keeping the law, then they were obeying the Lord and they were keeping the faith. Praise God. The thing about it with the children of Israel, they got where they would do it only physically and they would never have it in their heart to do it. And sometime when they didn't have it in their heart to do it, they would try to slip by it, you know, like every seven years they had to let the land rest and not plow it, not farm it, but just let it rest. God would give them enough blessings on the sixth year to take care of the seventh year. And after a while, they said, well, we got a lot of blessings on the sixth year. Let's go ahead and do the seventh year so we have more blessings. And so they began to violate and things like that, just one after the other until it displeased God in many ways. The point I'm bringing out to you here is that it was man's responsibility to believe God. And how they were to believe him in the Old Testament was to keep his commandments, obey his word, and to walk with God and trust in him and all these kind of things. Praise the Lord. Now, let me move into another area here to, uh, let me just move these away here. This is the God's name here. This is a very interesting fact with the Jews because they're still big on that name, the name of God. And uh, let me talk to you a little bit about the Lord, what he said about himself. And uh, he said, my name is Yahweh or Jehovah or the I am. And then he goes on to uh, tell him that I will always be with you. I'll take care of you. I'll look after you. And that I am the great and mighty God. I want you to go with me, if you would, uh, for a moment here to Isaiah 43. Go to Isaiah 43 with me in the word of God. And uh, the Lord appeared unto him in verse 43, 3. And then God says here to Isaiah to tell the children of Israel, I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. Everybody see the word Savior? I, thy Savior. Look at verse 11. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. Beside me there is nobody else. I'm the only one. Verse 14, thus saith the Lord, your Redeemer, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. And the word redeemer means the one who buys back. The word redeem is to buy. And when a man sometimes had lost everything that he had, he could have a brother or an uncle or a cousin or somebody who would come and buy that back for him. You know, and he was called his redeemer. The story of that is brought out in the book of Luke. Not Luke, I'm sorry, Ruth. Where uh, Boaz becomes Ruth's redeemer. And she doesn't understand the law of Israel. And he went to buy the land of, uh, of, his, uh, of his brother, I think it was, or cousin or whatever it was, some relative. Went to buy his land back and give it back to, to her people, his people, his, his, his wife and so forth. And with the land, he got Ruth. And Ruth, that's where he and Boaz and Ruth then became married, so forth. I'm just trying to say here that that's what the word redeemer means. So when the Lord, the Lord said, I'm your redeemer, I'm going to buy you back because Adam and Eve 
lost it all in the garden when they sinned against God. Sin has come into the world. The flood came and destroyed that generation or that movement. And then they built, tried to build a tower to Babel. Man just went his own way. And the Lord then is trying to say here, I'm going to be a redeemer to you. I'm going to buy back. So I'm a savior and a redeemer. Everybody understand what the word redeemer is. Now, this is what he says here in verse 14. I'm showing you where that God in the Old Testament as the I am was saying to them, I am your redeemer. Look in the 15th verse. This is interesting. I am the Lord, your holy one, the creator of Israel, your king. So God is our savior. Uh, to Israel their savior he was their redeemer he was their king going to, to uh, chapter 44 and verse 6 this is Isaiah still thus saith the Lord the king of Israel and his redeemer the Lord of hosts I am the first <coughs> excuse me I am the first and I am the last and beside me there is no God It's interesting that when Jesus appeared to John, the revelator, on the first chapter of the book of Revelation, he said to him, I am the beginning and the ending, I'm the first and the last beside me, there is no God. You know, same thing, making Jesus Christ to be God. There's so many verses in the Bible that lets us know Jesus was God Almighty. And God says so many places here that beside me there is none. There is no other God beside me. I'm still reading here in Isaiah. Here's another verse. This is in 4424. Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, and he that formed thee from the womb, I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone, that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself. So what he says that I am your Redeemer, and I've made all things by myself, there is nobody else. And I give you other scriptures here that confirm that God is by himself, excuse me. And then verse 45, I'm going to read the latter part of the 21st verse, chapter 45, 21. And the latter part of it says, there is no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me, a Savior. And uh, in verse 22, look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. So what God does is declare himself emphatically. That he is the Savior, he is the Redeemer, there is nobody else. That's it. And then came Jesus. Then came Jesus. Everybody say, Praise the Lord. Now, I want you to learn to Matthew 121 with me. Go to Matthew 121 for a moment. I'm going someplace with this, so trust me on it. 121, this is where the angel appeared unto Joseph. Whenever Mary was going to have a baby and he was about ready to divorce her because she was pregnant. He didn't know how or why. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream and said, you know, that that is of your wife is conceived of the Holy Ghost. She's got a baby of the Holy Ghost. And this is what the Lord said to uh, to Joseph because it was the man's responsibility and his position to name his child. Verse 21, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And the word Jesus means I am hath become salvation, or I am is salvation, or Yahweh is salvation, or Yahweh is Savior. 
any way you want to shake it around. Jehovah is, Yahweh is, Yahweh is, any way you want to put the name, I am. I am Savior, or I have become Savior. So that God's name in the New Testament was amplified, not just to be the I am. I am everywhere at all times. I am everything, every, I'm, every, I'm, I'm everywhere, and I'm at all times. Never was there a time that I was not, never shall be a time I shall not be. I'm, I'm that. Not only that, but now in this dispensation, I am emphatically emphasizing I am Savior. Praise the Lord. So he said, I am your Savior. Now, this is also emphasized a little bit further on in the book of Luke. And this is what the angels said whenever they, they appeared unto the shepherds that were in the field when Jesus was born. This is Luke 2.10. <clears throat> this was one angel at first, and then there was a multitude of angels that sang. But this is the tenth. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born <clears throat> this day in the city of David a Savior which is Christ the Lord. That is the Christ meaning Messiah, which is the Messiah, the Lord. Now, here again, he puts the angel says, this is the Savior. Notice here that in Isaiah, the Lord said, only God is Savior, and he alone by himself is Savior. Now Jesus is Savior. Now I'm going to read another verse here in this second chapter of Luke in verse 25. Say with me on this. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem. They went to take Jesus now on the eighth day to have him circumcised and to also name him. That was always done on the eighth day. Uh, the 25th verse says, Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. <clears throat> And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he, this is, he took Jesus in his arms, took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Now what I'm emphasizing here is that Jesus, the name, his coming, meant that God was going to put emphasis now on Israel's salvation and eventually the Gentile salvation. Praise the Lord. So that this was the emphasis of his name, it would be that. Now... I want to show you how, I want you to go back, if you would, to the very first verse I read to you. I want to read this again. This is in Psalms 8-4. Psalms 8-4. Everybody still with me? Have I lost anybody yet? Nobody's raising hands, so I haven't lost anybody. Everybody's still not with me. Stay with me here. Look at verse 4. What is man that thou art mindful of him? This is 8-4 of Psalms. What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou hast visited him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, 
the sheep, the oxen, the beasts of the field, fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, and all those that pass through the sea. Now, it, with that verse of scripture, I'm going to read a verse of scripture found over here in Hebrews. And Hebrews springs off of that verse. I'm going to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 6. Look at this very closely with me. But one in a certain place testified saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him or the son of man that hath visited him? He's quoting here now from this 8th chapter of the book of Psalms. This is what the writer of Hebrews, which uh, is believed to be Paul. Verse 7. Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. Now, look at the next part of that eighth verse. For in that he put all in subjection under his feet, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. In other words, this verse is not completed yet. Jesus is still working on us. I got a lot to tell you. And my time is getting short. I got a lot to tell you that next week. It says here, he left nothing that is not put under him, but now we see not yet all things put under him. But look at the first four letters in verse 9. But we see Jesus. Praise the Lord. And Jesus Christ coming as Savior. Hallelujah. Has made it possible that all things would be put under us. Now he goes on to talk about all these things that the Lord has put uh under us and how that we're not complete yet and so forth and he talks about how all these things are for us to understand and to know praise god so that jesus christ when he came came to put everything under subjection so that we today folks this is not over with yet it's not completed yet there's still a work to be done I'm going to read the first few, a few verses more in that same verse that's in Hebrews chapter 2. He says, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels. This is 2.9. For the suffering of, the of, of death crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God should taste death for us or for man. For it became him, Jesus, for whom are all things and by whom are all things. Everything was made for him and by him. I'm going to really give you some things next week. I'm going to go to Matthew. I'm going to go to Genesis 1:26. Let us make man in our image. And I'm going to talk to you about that. I'm going to give you some deep meaning to that verse of scripture. But it has a, a powerful meaning to it. All things were made by Christ. And all things were made for Christ. Christ, Jesus before he ever came to this world was the pattern by which God made all things. It wasn't by Adam. Adam was made in the image of him who was yet to come. It was Jesus who was God's divine plan. Praise the Lord. So when Jesus came, he came to fulfill God's divine plan from the very beginning of time. That he was going to redeem man. And he was going to do it with man. That is, with Jesus Christ as our example, and that as our example, then we would become part of that. That's why you've got to keep believing. That's why we'll always have to believe. That's why you've got to keep on living for God. That's why we keep serving the Lord. That's our part 
in keeping the faith so that God's complete plan for our salvation might be accomplished. It's not over with yet, folks. You know, we, I know we're trying to get through life. I know that. But God has something far greater than just this life for those that love him. Yes. Praise the Lord. And he had it way over there from the very beginning of time. You see, you know, by the Bible said of Abraham, he looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. He knew that God had something greater than what he was seeing before his eyes. Amen. Moses understood it. Moses understood it. That's why the Lord only let him see Canaan's land. Because God got something far greater than just Canaan's land for Israel and for you and for those who walk with me. God has some things that are very great for us. Let me finish reading this uh, verse here. I know my time's getting away and I'm going to close out here. Uh, look at verse... Uh, I'm going to finish reading verse 10. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things and bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified, that's you and me, are all of one. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. In other words, Jesus being the Messiah, God manifest in flesh, is saying that he's not ashamed to be called our brother because God is involving us in salvation. First of all, with your own salvation, that's what I'm emphasizing here right now today. Our own salvation. That's why it's important for you to believe the word of God, trust the word of God, read it and say, God, if it says that I believe it. Some things are hard. You know, some things are hard. Jesus said, a man smites you on one cheek, turn to him the other. Has that ever happened to any of you? It never has happened to me, but I want, I mean, you know, I, I don't know if I could do that. I hope I could. I don't know. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? But I, I am trying to say here to you that today that God, praise the Lord, wants us to follow him as the example. And in his way of presenting these things to us, he's trying to help us to be like him so that we become the heir of what he became, the man Christ Jesus, who became, had a glorified body and will have a glorified body for eternity. And so will you and I. We do not yet know how we shall appear, but we'll be like him, but we shall see him as he is. And I'm just trying to point out to you here, that's all about our keeping the faith, keeping faithful. Keeping the faith is believing the word of God. Keeping faithful, being faithful, is being steady on and believing the word. The fact that you're here, you're keeping the faith. You know, the Bible says, assembling, neglect not the assembling of yourselves together. As the matter of some is. Some people have already quit going to church. That's what he was saying. But you keep coming to church. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And how can we hear without a preacher? How can he preach lest he be sent? So it's necessary for us to hear the preaching of the word of God and the teaching, of course. The word of God that our faith is increased. So when you come to church, praise the Lord, you're strengthened, amen, by being in the house of God, by obedience to the word of the Lord, and that your faith is increased. How many times have you came to, the, came to church? And you felt like, boy, I almost didn't make it today. I almost didn't get here today. It was just one of those days, you know. But you came anyhow. And when you got to church, it seemed like God just gave you something special. I've had that happen. I've had that happen more than once. Many of you have. 
It's like the Lord said, you put forth the effort and I'm just going to give you an extra blessing here for it because of the effort. Not only coming to church, but also what we do when we go out the doors, how we act, how we live, how we dress, how we dress, how we look. Some people look like a Christian when they come to church, but when you see them out there in the, in the streets, they may look differently. No, 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 no. Keep the faith. Keep the faith. Praise the Lord. And I'm just trying to tell you here, and I've got a lot more to give you next week, but I'm going to read this 11th verse and close out here. Uh, for both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. And uh, I'm going to get a little bit further into this next week. I'm going to talk to you about how the God has involved you and I in some things here. I'm going to talk to you about uh, Genesis 1:26. Let us make man in our image. What that means, how that involves us, and just help you to understand too that we are involved in others' salvation as well. God has chosen to involve we who are His people to involve others that they might be saved. Aren't you glad you're part of the kingdom of God? Jesus came to this world to establish a kingdom and he's made you and I part of it. Not only part of it, but he's also involved us in part of the process of establishing his kingdom on earth. That one day it'll be the kingdom of heaven. Hallelujah. That will be in heaven. Shall we, can we stand together and worship God and praise him?